Hello and welcome to episode 19 of All Rings Considered, a read-through The Lord of the Rings. Today we are covering book 2, chapter 7, uh, and that chapter name is The Mirror of Galadriel. So in this chapter, a little summary for for those of you who need it. The company this for you Charlie to let you know what happened. <laughs> <Thank you>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the company awakens to having been in uh, Lothorian. In this chapter, Did you say that? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the company is still in Lothorian, and in this chapter, they are summoned to meet the lords of Lorien, that is Celeborn and his wife Galadriel, and they have a, a meeting with Celeborn and Galadriel. They are then released back into Lorien, and the company spends some time, just several days. They're kind of indescript in Lorien. And there's a mourning of Gandalf from the elves after they learn about his fate in Moria. And the chapter closes with Sam and Frodo having a one-on-one -on -one meeting with Galadriel. And they uh, peer into her magic mirror, um, which is a, a pool of water in a, in a basin. And they have visions. And chapter closes with Frodo offering the ring to Galadriel, and she refuses Another one of those chapters we've we picked up on this pattern with Tolkien before of you have a tra chapter where they travel and you have a chapter where they're sort of in one place and not really much happens to necessarily advance the plot, but rather you see these more sort of like thematic exploration of things, I guess. I think this, this is just one of those chapters, right? Yeah. I, I absolutely love Lorien. I think if there was one place I could go in Middle Earth, it, it would be Lothorian. Nice. Yeah. If you want to start, I guess um, the there might not be a better place to start than what I think is one of the most interesting lines in the whole book, where Galadriel is saying that she and Celeborn, together through ages of the world, we have fought the long defeat. Mm -hmm. Pivotal line uh, for the I think the entire book. It goes with the theme I was talking about last chapter, which actually, which I actually don't think I spoke about in the best way. So I, maybe I need to be a little bit more careful. But this idea of the long defeat that's throughout the Lord of the Rings here is that I mentioned, I said in last episode, it was something like you've already lost no matter what you do. But just to be clear on what I mean by that, like I don't mean to suggest that Tolkien saying, well, you've already lost this current conflict with Sauron and the ring because he doesn't, right? He, the book always speaks against like thinking that way, right? So the characters who do think that way are said to be wrong, right? Hmm. Don't fall into despair because despair is for those people who are for sure or are, are certain of the ending. We, we don't know how this will end necessarily. And we're going to see later with characters like Denethor and Theoden that if you think like you've already lost this current conflict, you're just on the wrong track here. <laughs> what I mean, though, to say is that you've already lost is I mean to say in this like really big picture of things in the grandest of, of grand scheme of things, we've already lost because we live in a world that has death. You will die. Not just like you yourself and your physical body, but even if you defeat Sauron, that world you had before Sauron doesn't come back. Like it has died. Right. So this, I think, is what Galadriel is getting at with the, with the long defeat, that we are in a world that, that will die and will perish. And Galadriel and Celeborn have sat here and like have really tried to defy that in arguably unnatural ways by preserving this world wood and keeping it timeless and now that that's set to end 
which it is set to end because Galadriel points out toward the end of this chapter, either Frodo succeeds and destroys the One Ring, in which case Galadriel's ring, which is preserving Lorien, loses its power, and so Lorien dissolves or fades or whatever, mm -hmm. or Frodo loses and Sauron wins and he destroys <laughs> Lorien. Either way, they're about to see the perishing of their like, beloved little bubble that they've tried to shield for so long from like inevitable death. Arguably, it's pretty unnatural, maybe, because it's almost going to be more traumatic, I, I get the sense, for these elves than it would be maybe for someone who might be more like accustomed that oh, like <laughs> things, to used to being used end. to mortality yeah so like this might be an area where like human beings and slash hobbits have it a little better because maybe they can like accept that a little better than the elves can like maybe that's kind of one of elves faults hmm. anyway yeah. yeah so i think there's a lot we could say here about the long defeat so those well, are my basic I thoughts but i think we mentioned some of it before you know that being very catholic idea and tolkien obviously is very mm -hmm. But let's see. What have I got going on here in the list? Uh, oh, one thing I want to, to bring up. Differences between Rivenil and Lothlorien. So we've seen two elvish cities this far. So I think uh, this time reading around, I was actually thinking, oh, yeah, there's actually some pretty interesting thematic differences between city of Rivenil and city of Lothlorien. Sam himself says, when, when Frodo's asking about what he thinks about elves now that he's seen them, um, he says, and I reckon there's elves and elves. They're all elvish, though, but they're not all the same. Now, these folks aren't uh, wanderers or homeless and seem a bit nearer to the likes of us. They seem to belong here more even than hobbits do in the Shire. Um, but so here's... Tell me what you think about this. I was thinking about Rivendell, looking at Rivendell as a place that's more about story and narrative, things that are sort of eternal and kind of the long big picture, and Lothorian being very immediate and in the now experience okay so in the previous chapter you see just the like the raw beauty of lorian affecting the different characters you see affecting aragorn and i mean just anybody who's in lorian has this big effect um and rivendell is all about things that have been built so not necessarily things that you have that you're experiencing currently but in uh rivendell you see stories and poems and um, although, I mean, they, they do sing in, in Lorien, Rivendell is about history. And Lorien is just this, I don't know, it's just this very raw, experiential, yeah. like... Well, Lorien's in defiance of time, right. right? Yeah. And there are all these lines here where whenever they mention time on the outside, they say, it's like, oh, hey, it's Aragorn. It's been 83 years, as the outside world calls it, since you were here last. Like, as in, not to us. Like, to us, it's not any time because we were just in this bubble yeah where time does not pass and time does not matter yeah they're just like an outright defiance of it it just doesn't exist for them it doesn't matter which isn't which isn't right and i guess this is what i was thinking when i said this might be the the elves is sorry this might be the elves flaw that they can't or at least these elves can't really like grapple with that in the, like the way maybe they should yeah whereas rivendell does i mean rivendell's Rivendell home to the stories and it's rivendell recognizes time yeah, and maybe that means they're more prepared and better, like suited for this kind of job. I mean, they're also closer to being able to pass into into the Undying Lands. It's it's easier for them in some way. Hmm. But I was thinking about what you just said about you know Lorien itself is is dying, and we don't really hear about 
Rivendell's eventual doom. I mean, it's kind of yeah. said that like, oh, like, if, Elrond if mentions a, it hypothetically once as like, if Sauron if like, will fall, yeah. Right, but it seems like there's something different about Rivendell, if attacked, can fall. But Lorien seems like even if Sauron wasn't a problem, it just, it's dying for some reason. And Oh, you get that vibe though? I didn't really yeah. get, to me, I always thought it was kind of just entwined with this conflict. Like in theory... Like when Galadriel says, you know, when Frodo asks Galadriel what you wish had happened, could happen with the ring, and she says, well, I just wish it had never been made or had never been found again. So like well, I got from that I think vibe. That's... I was getting this vibe of like, okay, it's because of this that it's going to die. But I think Otherwise... the thing is, if it was never found again, then she would still have the power to, in her ring. That's what, that's what I mean. That's what oh, she's yeah. saying, right? So Galadriel was saying if it weren't for the ring the one ring either being made or being found again she would could just use her ring to preserve lorian forever right and so it seems to me that lorian is not dying if it weren't for the fact that the one ring is back and oh, but whatever I mean, the result of that one ring leads to lorian's perishing but i mean if she's not actively sustaining it then it's going okay. away for some reason um, and that might be the same with Rivendell, but we don't explicit. It's not really like brought to the forefront that, you know, the only thing keeping Rivendell together is, you know, the will of Elrond. The same way that we get the mm-hmm. the only thing that keeping Lorien together is is Galadriel. But, but anyway, I think um, that's kind of like a nice little parallel where if you have something, let's say that Rivendell is representing story, um, and Lothlorien is the like the experience of the right now, just experience. Okay. Story can be if attacked it can you know this myths and things can be destroyed culture can be you know changed but it's in some sense more eternal and less mortal than just the current experience that things that you're experiencing right in the moment i see a lot of just representation of just life in lorian itself i mean there's this you know foreboding sort of ah like kind of doomed <laughs> sort of thing where in where mm-hmm. in rivendell it's about ah the stories of even characters that are not actually there are living on and being repeated and kind of like eternal in in Rivendell. Just yeah. through, through their stories. Yeah. So Lorien's not without its kind of stories, though, too, to think it's about true. this. With, with the Mirror of Gladriel itself, so our title, chapter title, shows things that Gladriel says things that are in the past, things that are happening now, and things that might come in the future. But it's a very sort of like, you don't know what it is. It's very, like you said, it's very experiential. It's very in the now. Like you don't know which of the things you're seeing it was in the past, present, future. When they're in the future, it's very much Gladwell says like potential, future, right. like potentiality, not what that, what's, what's going to happen for sure, but just what might. So yeah, it's very different, I think, from the actual like hard set storylines of Rivendell and of like true story and true myth. It's much more in the moment, your experience and like the emotions of it rather yeah the fluidity and Galadriel even says like don't like don't go to the mirror for counsel Rivendell's a place for counsel that's what I mean the council of Elrond happens there they get advice there it's a place to go for wisdom and lore and learning and the mirror is like don't use it for that bad idea because you don't know what uh she even makes the I, I I find this a fascinating like sort of paradox the mirror sometimes shows things that will happen only if you go off to try to prevent what you saw in the mirror from happening and that was that was the only way it would have happened so if you had if you do nothing it won't happen 
and yeah, very different than the kind of traditional like council of Rivendell. Yeah. Let's see. I think that's, that's mostly what I had to say about that. I just, I think it's, I think for any reader uh, going through and, you know, working through Lord of the Rings, I think thinking about the differences between the Lorien elves and the, the Rivendell elves is, uh, is worth doing. Yeah, for um, sure. Let's see. What else happens in Lorien, Charlie? So a few things, a few more things I, I underlined. I like the theme coming out here about land being reflective of the people who live in it. Hmm. And for Sam has that line shortly after where you talked about or where you quoted Sam saying that elves seem to belong here more than even hobbits do in the Shire. He then says, whether they've made the land or the land's made them, it's hard to say if you take my meaning, suggesting that there's just this inseparability between the two, right? That elves and Lorien just so are so go together so well that the landscape is just is them and they are the landscape personified so i just like that theme i think it's just kind of cool i think and it's just things you know when we as the advanced readers of course uh (laughs) (laughs) uh well you know we might think about like why were the ring wraiths the black riders so kind of doofy in when they were in the Shire or outside the Shire, hmm. right? Like they didn't always seem to act like in the way they definitely could have. And like, uh, like maybe like in that land, like it's not their place. Like they don't, they're a little like out of sorts out in that kind of land. Uh, whereas like here in Lorien, like these elves, like this is so naturally them that this is like the, where they're able to have their greatest power. Yeah. It's uh, certainly something to say about the power of context. Just, a sort of a concept for for i mean you know in these books it's the world is not so simple as just oh you have you have fireball power and it has 10 damage you know these are you know yeah uh myth stories that kind of you know what something means is very what something means is very um how do i say paramount to its uh how it functions in this world and different lands being different contexts affects meaning and so that's yeah reflected in the things that uh, the way that characters are like described like we i mean i've mentioned this a bunch of times but i like even just the size of characters seems to change depending on what they're doing and uh, you know what the context is of their situation and you know so the whole land and culture being that context yeah i i'm totally into that absolutely well and galadriel seems to endorse this kind of that this isn't about fireball level 20 kind of stuff when she talks to sam about how you said you want to see elf magic and like i don't really oh, understand I love... what that means that yeah i love that magic line. here because you seem to use the same word for like what we do and what sauron does but nevertheless here you go i guess here's like a thing you might call magic but yeah i love that just like the same as like what we'd see in D D or something yeah um because for her it's just that's oh this is just how things are you know it would be somebody ask i don't know that's I love that line. Yeah. There were a couple of like, I mean, that I thought was kind of funny. Um, there are a couple of things, at least one comedic moment in this chapter. I thought was funny uh, when Gimli all of a sudden, I mean, there's actually a very moving line about him, um, you know, speaking with Gladriel and seeing into the heart of an enemy and then, you know, finding a, yeah. a friend. Um, but then afterwards he, you know, he says he bows before her and, and he says something um, that she's, you know, the most beautiful thing in all of existence. And then there was silence. <laughs> And then you see, Kel- and then the next line is the next paragraph, and Celeborn goes, <clears throat> "Well, uh, I guess uh, 
Yeah. Because <laughs> we're all having a good time here. <laughs> um, uh, Which, I mean, it's interesting that Celeborn doesn't quite get on board as much as Gladriel does with dwarves. Like, he greets Gimli kind of... Yeah. He greets Gimli nicely at first, but then when it turns out dwarves had awakened the, the Balrog and Moria, and he goes back to, ooh, shoot, you know what? I really wish I hadn't even let you in here at this point. And Gladriel has to say, okay stop <laughs> like yeah um actually galadriel is one of my and you know this galadriel is one of my favorite yeah. characters there's more to say about her in the next chapter but in this chapter we at least see some parts of her character one that she is empathetic i mean her character is an insanely powerful she's one of the most powerful beings in middle earth but we can see that she's empathetic she's suspicious um so she has that sort of test the mental psychic test that everybody uh, you know, is tempted by her offerings of abandoning the quest. And, you know, and then she also, uh, she, at the end of this chapter, I guess, is she second to Gandalf the, in this, to the people who have rejected the ring? Did Bilbo willingly? Well, I would say Bilbo Aragorn, willingly gave it up. Bilbo willingly gave it up and he gets another temptation in Rivendell. Right, Aragorn, Aragorn is a big one. When yeah, when he says, I could have it now. He says, I could have it, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, um, so this is like our fourth. Yeah. Um, okay, oh, and well, the, well, we talked about in the Council of Elrond episode. There's got to be this like missing, lost temptation of whoever put the ring on the chain mm-hmm. and put it on Frodo. We don't know who that is. And right. So, so Gandalf, Aragorn, Bilbo. That's for the special pedants of our. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but I love it. Which yeah. we would never be like that. No. No um uh so but she, well then she's part of a good company of people who have who have rejected the ring um and we actually yeah. see a like glimpse into more than others we see a glimpse of her temptation and her character and what she i mean character her personality and uh and you know she closes the chapter with a great line to to sam sam says that he wishes that she would have taken the ring so he could or that she could um uh, let's see what he says. He says, you'd put things to rights. You'd stop them digging up the gaffer and turning him adrift. You'd make some folk pay for their dirty work. And she says, I would. That is how it would begin, but it would not stop with that. Alas. I think that's that's great. That's uh, her packaging up, you know, Tolkien's view on the ring and use of power. Yeah. Even to well, things um... that you want, you know. That's what you get in those lines too when she is explicitly talking about what she would do with the ring. And I know these are much discussed and analyzed lines in the book, but it's still worth going through them here when she says, Dick, in place of the Dark Lord, you will set up a queen, and I shall not be dark, but beautiful and terrible as the morning and the night. Um, she ends it with, uh, All shall love me and despair. Classic. We've talked before about the power of contradictions and paradox within Lorien. And here's another great example of the seeming paradox about she's going to be beautiful and terrible and everybody will love her in despair. Mm. And really what's underlying that is the power of compulsion and, the, and of domination, right? If all shall love her, they are inherently like not free to choose otherwise. And so she's just dominated them with her will. And so even if it's for this really good thing, it's still going to end in, end in despair. Yeah, I love it. And Gladriel's great. I'll talk more about her uh, next chapter. Oh, just get a room, you two. <laughs> Speaking of that, I've got a line about Frodo and Sam. <laughs> um, oh, I just wanted to point out, there's kind of an interesting thing here when they're... Um, so 
there's a big mourning of Gandalf in in Lorien, and Frodo and Sam when they're having their conversation about elves and magic. Uh, Sam says that he uh, misses Gandalf's fireworks, and uh, yeah, and would like to see some magic. And Frodo says, "I wouldn't. I am content, and I don't miss Gandalf's fireworks, but his bushy eyebrows and his quick temper and his voice." And I think that's that's kind of interesting. It's like oh, Frodo and Sam's relationship with what Gandalf is, and then by extension, their relationship to the world. Frodo, his relationship with Gandalf is not about his his role. It's with in the story. He it's really just with him as a personal relationship with that that yeah guider. And then and then Sam Sam I mean um, more naturally sees poetry. He more naturally sees sort of the the music of the world and he sees he's he misses gandalf's sort of uh, ability well I, I, how do i want to say this he misses gandalf's him on a more of a uh, more an abstract level okay yeah anyway okay. i just want to point it out so yeah. but yeah i have one else? i have one last yeah. little thing to point out before we start moving into things like before we start wrapping this up i suppose with favorite lines and chapter title discussions little cool thing is that galadriel points out that the elves must depart into the west so cross the sea and go to the undying lands basically leave middle earth or she says dwindle to a rustic folk of dell and cave slowly to forget and to be forgotten i like this because this is tolkien's way of almost explaining where the medieval myths of elves Mm. came from suggesting that some did become this forgotten folk just in dells and caves and have been kind of forgotten over time well that's why we have all these medieval myths of elves and they seem to live in like these mysterious places and over time we have fewer and fewer myths about them and like they've been forgotten and so i think that was just kind of cool i thought it was just a little detail he he put in there just as a sort of wink and a nod to yeah he uh, does that from time to time and it's great yeah so um, anyway um but yeah should we do let's see chapter let's... title mirror of galadriel it's fine. I give it another. Well, I give this like a seven out of ten chapter okay. title because I like when it's kind of abstract and mysterious. And the mirror of Gladriel to me is nice and mysterious. So yeah. I I like it. Seven out of ten. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Cool. All right. Favorite line. Favorite line for me is Frodo asking Gladriel, "What do you wish?" And Gladriel says that what should be shall be. The love of the elves for their land and their works is deeper than the deeps of the sea, and their regret is undying and cannot ever wholly be assuaged. So a couple of the reasons I like this. One, I like just her stance of just what happens needs to happen, and she's okay with that. And also that she's recognizing here, again, that long defeat, that elves have this sort of regret that you will never be able to fix. We have, in a sense, already lost and will lose, and that's what we need to manage. And I think that's just so thematically on point with, I've mentioned this in an episode way, way back at the beginning, toward the beginning of the podcast of our, of our series, where I think the central theme of the Lord of the Rings is if you live in a world that is dying, how do you respond to it? Mm-hmm. And um, and surprise, you're going to die someday. So yeah, <laughs> spoiler alert for our listeners. Um, um. And I guess this is just a nice way of at least considering it having Gladiol say here that their regret is undying. Right. I just think that's a that's a good summation, at least of the first half of that theme of, you know, you live in a world that's going to die. Yeah, I like that too a lot because a lot of the Gladiol lines are kind of interwoven with sort of her backstory that we don't 
get in this book. Yeah. She mentions she comes over the mountains into Middle Earth and she, well, she's, you know, we know she's part of a company of elves that committed first murder. She personally has a great deal of regret. Yeah. Um, Well, for me, actually, I think uh, all the way up until now, favorite line has been prose. I'm actually, I'm going to pick a little stanza of poetry. This is from Frodo's, how do you say eulogy like? Is it eulogic? Eulogy style (laughs) uh, poem about Gandalf when he's mourning Gandalf. And I like this stanza. Here it goes. A deadly sword, a healing hand, a back that bent beneath its load, a trumpet voice, a burning brand, a weary pilgrim on the road. And I just, I love the contrast of the incredible might of Gandalf and his different works being, you know, whether it's his sword, you know, this for, you know, his, his might in combat, uh, his healing hands, a voice, you know, that, that can inspire courage or a brand that is sort of like a, a you know it's not necessarily what you're doing with the sword but it's his something inspiring um and then there's just this weary old man um i love a weary pilgrim on the road i think that's just uh, i get so much mental imagery out of that it's very yeah. emotional i'm really glad this is our first time i think either of us have picked some poetry for favorite line and that's always been sort of on my mind as the one other time i even considered it and like I even had a candidate for a favorite line that was in a poem was something like chapter three or chapter, I think it was chapter three, yeah, of book one where the hobbits had like a walking song that mm-hmm. I really do like. And I think I ended up still picking something from the prose. So I think that's unfortunate that so far so many of ours have come from the writing. But most of it, I've just been yeah. afraid to mention it because I'm not like I'm not uh, classically trained in poetry. And so uh, I think, you know what Dennis brought up? Something oh, did he? I probably was not he, listening to him he? because he is <laughs> awful. We'll have to check. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, mostly I've, I've just kind of been letting it slide, but enjoying it. Um, but yeah, maybe we'll we'll make an effort to uh, to give some attention to the poems. Yeah. So next week we're on book two, chapter eight. Chapter eight. All right, so we're getting really close to the end of book two, which brings us to the end of Fellowship. So we're getting there. Book two, chapter eight, farewell to Lorien. Join us then. Mm-hmm.